All right, all right, all right. You are listening to Castles and Cryptids, where the castles are haunted and the cryptids are cryptic as fuck. And I'm Alana. And I'm Kelsey. I'm always giggling, but this time it was at Kelsey's cat, who I assume is still doing his antics. I had a drink that had a bottle cap, and I... Gordo plays fetch with bottle caps, so he is currently bringing me a bottle cap. You probably heard it, punk. <laughs> he yeah, that was threw- really good timing. <laughs> I threw it to get him out of the room because every time I unscrewed the cap on my drink, he's like, oh, bottle cap? Yes. Um, <laughs> so I threw he's it out of the room. like a hawk. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, he was going in front of the webcam and trying to walk across my computer to get at the drink. So I threw it out of the room and he played with it for a second, then just ran back into the room with it in his mouth, which is always the cutest. And he jumped up onto the desk with it and dropped it. Ouch, my teeth. I don't want to chew in a bottle cap. Gordo. (laughs) He just holds it. He like holds his mouth like this on it and just like carries it around. And it's like, yeah, that one's plastic too. I guess it's not like a beer bottle. (laughs) Yeah, it's just. So if you hear any sound of plastic on on the desk, it's Gordo playing with a bottle cap because he's so cute. Oh, if you're new here, Gordo is Kelsey's cat. Um, yeah. We don't want to have <laughs> the same problem the other podcasts have had being like, Sydney's our producer, and then it's like, oh no, but that means it's their dog. <laughs> yeah. No, Sydney, don't poo on the carpet. <laughs> Get that bottle cap out of your mouth, Gordo. What are you doing? <laughs> we um... give you better tools to play. To- tools? Toys to play with. <laughs> Let's see. He will run out of the room if I throw. No. The only thing. um, (laughs) (laughs) My dog is an American Akita and they don't seem to love to play fetch. I don't know. Mm. I haven't had one yet that does. He acts a little bit like a cat where he's like, oh, I'll play if I want to (laughs) play. If you throw something for me. Like, I'll try and do it in the yard, and he's like, he just looks at me. And I'm like, oh, what? Just because usually your dad just sits on the couch and just throws one of your toys down the hallway. <laughs> yes, that's me. Gordo brings the bottle cap and drops it. And then I just pick it up and whip it down the floor, down the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good way to, yeah, keep him entertained while you're watching TV. Yes. We're here, for, oh. we're here with the tips. <laughs> yep, tips and tricks. <laughs> what do you guys do with your crazy animals it's, if we make a facebook group will we put things in there like um oh it's like there's a subreddit that's like what's wrong with your dog or something <laughs> i always think of that when my dog's being weird <laughs> it's like what's wrong with your dog what's wrong with your cat <laughs> oh Oh, here it comes. What's wrong with Gordo is the fact that his mom was hairless and his dad was a rag doll. So <laughs> he has a crazy, weird personality because rag dolls are supposed to be very relaxed to the point where they're called rag dolls because you pick them up and they're just supposed to be completely limp. Okay. And then I like that. <laughs> As he just f- frenzied. <laughs> Um, does none of that. Oh my God, Gordo. 
Yeah, as he does none of that. Um, no, I just heard like. <laughs> yeah, he tried to jump up on the desk and missed. Oh no! <laughs> and kind of fell, but. Uh, funny. <laughs> so, uh, rag dolls aren't even supposed to really want to even jump on furniture. I guess when I was like looking them up, like the purebred ones won't oh play. They most of them don't need scratching posts, and they don't really even want to jump up on furniture because that's too much effort. And I was like, oh my god, I wish. <laughs> like, the cat is insane. <laughs> um, yeah, they, and his mom and dad they came from the two different worlds, star-crossed lovers, yes. the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> one was two bald. The types. other one had too much hair to spare and it just <laughs> opposites um, attract <laughs> yeah and it created this uh, crazy slightly cross-eyed little baby named Gordon. i mean it's like children okay i only have one so i can't make the comparison for my own how they like can grow up in the same household and be so different but we've mm. had two different um akitas and yeah. one like kind of had a bum hip so he really didn't like to jump he didn't mm. he wasn't yeah. la- he didn't bark he wasn't oh god wait is Fenrir the alpha i don't know because when we got fen he was so tiny and yeah. now he's huge but like he fucking barks all the time but serious our last akita was so chill and like never oh. barked at anybody and I don't know. You don't remember? Like, he, yeah, he wasn't the same to, like, where people would come over to the house and he would just bark his ass off at them. Like, no. And he also I never met your other spirit. dog. Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize it had been so long since I had had him. Okay. Yeah, I Are never looking- met him at all. Oh, okay. We had to put him down when he was, like, five because he got cancer. Anyway, that's a oh. bummer. We don't need to talk about that. It's... But they had very different personalities. So it's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Rip, Sirius. I called him Sirius Tan because he was more beige. <laughs> but, you know, named after the dog star Sirius or Sirius yeah. Black, you know, anything. Yeah, it's a very, it's a good dog name, we thought. Now we have Fen or Fenrir, who's named after Norse mythology Fenrir <laughs> yeah my cat was my brother's cat and he named him after uh Gord Downey from or Gordon Downey from the tragically right. hip <laughs> he so, loves to name after a musician <laughs> yeah his first cat was technically was Dr. Dre but we all just called him Dre uh yeah which is a cute cat name I like that Dre yeah Dre <laughs> yeah just be like somebody called I mean, me doctor I could, yeah, I couldn't probably yell Dr. Dre when running after a car <laughs> in my backyard. Dr. Dre! Get down here, Dr. Dre! It's like, I heard yeah. him on podcast, they were like, no, oh, that, that cat, or that dog looks like, um, oh, fuck, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones? You know, he's like oh, an older yeah. actor that's like a man in black or whatever. He's like, what would you say if your bulldog's name was Tommy Lee Jones? Stop licking your balls, Tommy Lee Jones! <laughs> <laughs> Um, mayhem (laughs) yeah i like pets with people names it's pretty funny my sister-in-law's sister her and her husband's dog is named douglas oh and (laughs) yeah douglas not dougie because 
We call him Dougie. I call him oh, Dougie or Duggo. I know a pug named Dougie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so that that one tracks. But I call him Duggo or Dougie. Serious. Um, yeah, they mostly call him Doug, but his name is Douglas. Oh my god. Yeah, so, so cute. <laughs> anyway, do you have yeah. any fun facts for us this week? Not really. I wasn't. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I was like thinking, I was like, I'm sure there's things I've learned on different podcasts and stuff. And then I was like, if I didn't write it down, I might just Mm. forget it by the time it comes out. That's me. I'm like, I'm constantly learning things, but ask me something I've learned and I can't remember. I couldn't tell you what I've learned. I don't know. There seems to be like alien news and ufo chatter and stuff that i need to brush up on and then just before recording we like both casually mentioned something that just seems to be going on right now that i just heard of with um, people diving down to the titanic wreck (laughs) and like still i haven't even processed what it was or means but pat was like some people went missing or something and i was just like what who where i have to go record what is happening yeah it's like (laughs) a bunch of millionaires um mostly like older people like millionaires it's like a vacation thing but one of the people involved like his his young son is like on board too and it basically is like a little submarine that kind of goes down and you can tour the ocean floor and they kind of go around the titanic wreckage maybe and then they're supposed to come back up submersible yeah yeah but it fits like 10-ish people on it um and it's pretty small looking like you're probably seated um right, in it, but, but like, it's gone missing one or two person ones and then there's like sub yeah this so this like is bigger between. yeah okay. but it's not like that's a submarine crazy. like a naval submarine no. or anything yeah but still yeah and not. it like disappeared or something and they're talking about this point like they basically will be within hours of running out of oxygen so if they're not found within the next couple hours they're going to be probably presumed dead at this point that's crazy but that's, yeah that's like when you hear about people that lost in a cave or something when you're yeah. you know where they're lost or yeah you know, you know where they're trapped or whatever but you can't necessarily do anything that is so scary right Ugh. yeah it's different <laughs> than like planes going down when you have like maybe you have like pinpoints where it targeted their location but this is a pretty specific area that they probably go on in these tours so yeah very very expensive tours yeah yes it was like millionaires and like billionaires on board and stuff like it's crazy yeah i'll i'll tamp down the tangent but i did listen to one the other day where it was someone Couple gone missing on a not a dive tour. Well, is it a dive tour? Snor- snorkeling. They were like it was a hmm. snorkeling excursion. But this was long. Okay. Like this is an older case. It's weird when these yeah. things are playing out in front of you. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This one was. I was like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. They they didn't get back with the group, but 
it didn't seem noticed at first, you know. Oh, that's wasn't scary. The head count done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, I don't know if Pat's ever said this when you're here, but he's like got this weird paranoia that he's going to be like lost at sea almost. Where I'm almost like, yeah. that must have happened to you in a previous life or something. Because you talked about that with. not going to be recovered. Yeah, him not wanting to fly over water and stuff in case the plane goes down and then he's like lost at sea and can't be properly buried. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't fly a lot of places. And I just, I've heard that from him a few times, like just with the. It sucks if you can't get recovered. I'm like, yeah, but like the chances of that happening. <laughs> It's yeah. very specific for that to be. Anyway, we'll do another reincarnated episode where we yeah. can do more specific stories where people have like those fears of like, this mm. is, we died in a past life or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Oh, super interesting. Yeah. Well, what do you got for us? <laughs> uh, to kick off our. Italian true crime or latest oh, international yes. international true crime episode because it's been oh yeah I was gonna say welcome to the episode that's <laughs> <laughs> no. the parmigiano <laughs> I did have that old Italian guy that used to um chat really long to me at work and he had like a a shoe shoe repair place his name was like Giovanni Giacchino or something he was really nice. <laughs> Do you remember? No. Like, oh he never nobody comes to insurance just to chat. That's a to your thing. co-worker, Mary, the Good other people. girl from the Maritimes from freaking Newfoundland, she had her chatters because she had those well, the old her old men were like trying to hit on her because she was of their age, but <laughs> Yeah. I just get the chatty old men, the chatty young men. I get the chatty whoever. He was really nice, though. Geo, he, like, brought me back these earrings one time or something. I know, that sounds weird, yeah. but <laughs> he did. He was fine. He never it was creepy or anything like that. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, my God, Gordo. <laughs> um, okay. He's settling okay. in. Is he? Okay, I'm yeah. out of everything to drink already. Okay, do you want to get a drink? Yeah. Yeah. Settle down, Gordo. All right. (sighs) Sorry. All right. So, adjust my pillows. Okay. So, these pillows? Your dirty pillows. No, that's Austin Powers. Oh my God. <laughs> Gordo, I just said you were settled. Be settled. Please. Please just be settled. Oh my God. <laughs> There's nothing over there for you. Okay. Just stay on this half of the desk. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. I have a bit of a different one this week. We'll see. Ooh. what's not a classic kelsey case of i don't know darkness and <laughs> twisty tragedy <laughs> it's twisty uh oh wait it is yeah tragic. this is crimes right yeah, yeah okay, this yeah, is still yeah. a true crime case somebody's still gonna die uh um, all right 
then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. yeah, that we could probably figure on. I never give up. Yeah trigger warnings for that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah yeah uh this is the case of the killing of marta russo oh marta yeah. name yeah she was really nice i feel like looking at her pictures it was like that was probably so many people i hung out with in like high school <laughs> just looked like her like all oh. my friends um i put some pictures case? on there uh no, like 1997, right. so not not okay. too bad. But just some of us feel like it was yesterday in some ways. But yeah, <laughs> I was exactly. only two, so I was. <laughs> I know it's the were you a 90s kid versus were you a 90s kid? Because like yeah, people ask me if I was an 80s kid. I'm like, eh, I was born in like 88, so I don't really remember yeah. the 80s. And yeah, I was exactly. only. I get to. I was five when the 90s ended, so like I don't feel like a 90s <laughs> kid. But there's enough early between like the year 2000 and 2010. There was enough like 90s like overlapping into that that it's like yeah. yeah sometimes you can just look at something and be like yeah that was early 2008. Like it's very specific. <laughs> and I, oh man, I just was telling you that I've been listening to those creeps and crimes, and they're um in their early 20s and so i was oh, listening to one of them say that they and they're not born in 2001 young or anything <laughs> no they were like women got botox and one of them said and i was like wait oh, weren't you like 22 <laughs> like jesus wait why okay anyway not i'm not uh, I, i'm not putting anyone on blast they're they're pretty cool <laughs> yeah but uh wow yeah yeah <laughs> so there are pictures of marta and pictures for the case in the drive they'll be on the website too what yeah so and the... whenever i get around to it because i yeah. <laughs> do that sometimes <laughs> uh so the case uh starts on may 9th 1997 at about 11 42 when suddenly oh, wow. a tw- yeah <laughs> specific <laughs> yeah there's a reason for the about but then having a specific time but we'll get to it uh a 22 caliber bullet suddenly hit uh this woman marta russo in the head while well, she's walking with a friend on their shared university grounds at the School of Law at Sapienza, University of Rome. Sapienza, maybe? So she got shot yeah. in her head when she was walking with her friend? Yeah, just out of nowhere. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Marta. traumatic <laughs> to yeah. see uh marta was shot while her and her friend were on a walkway some things described it as like a path some said it was an alleyway based on the pictures it kind of looks like an alleyway between two four-story buildings kind of like goes in there like i don't think you really drive in the area but you can like it is wide enough but it's more (laughs) of a pathway right 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 right. i was gonna say i think our um 
interpretation of an alleyway might be tainted by all like the American shows that we have to watch on TV where an alleyway is like that disgusting, like piss soaked garbage strewn yeah. like New York yeah, alleyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not always like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, interesting. So, yeah. So she's just walking along this with her friend. Uh, this path or alleyway was between the university's schools of statistical sciences the school of law and then the political science like school like the buildings okay. kind of. and like marcia's friend yeah. yeah it's right on campus right right yeah uh marcia's friend yolanda Risi, who was with her said that they were just kind of walking talking about their exams when suddenly Marta slumped to the ground and was unconscious. And God. yeah, just out of nowhere. Yolanda first thought Marta had fainted. And it was only when she saw blood that was starting to come from Marta, Marta's head did Yolanda realize that she had been shot. Wow. So like she didn't hear yeah. anything. Then. No, nobody really heard anything weird yeah uh marta was transported to a nearby hospital unfortunately she never regained consciousness and ended up dying like was declared kind of legally dead five days later on may 4th when basically she had been in like a coma and her family at that point just had to pull the plug like there was she was declared Mm. i think brain dead the day before and then they pulled the plug like right. 12 hours later or something she might as well have died when the yeah. shot hit her then i guess okay. like damn yeah. so sad uh, yeah uh marta's parents made the decision that i really like actually um they ended up making the decision to donate uh it said donate all of her organs um as they knew that this was something that she had spoken about a few years earlier with like somebody else's tragic death that was in the news and I didn't really look into it um but she really really believed in organ donation over the few years in between that so the family thought that would be like the best thing to do which I think more people need to get involved with oh okay don't they just because, like, here, a lot of times we ask people in Canada now if they want yeah. to be a donor when they renew their driver's license. license. So it's pretty yeah. easy to, to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I myself am medically not allowed to because of the medication I'm on. Like, uh, it, yeah, it could, like, none of my organs would safely be able to be used. And I, I'm not even allowed to, like, donate blood or anything. So. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, oh, I definitely I just, would be. Oh, yeah. I, <clears throat> they asked me when I renewed my license one time there. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know how you guys do this. It's like, and then my card just says, like, organ donors, like, checked off, I think. But then I just, like, wrote, what is on my healthcare card? It just says, like, not eyes. Because <laughs> I just, like, oh. have my weird thing about eyeballs. And I was like, oh, oh this, yeah. is that horrible? Now I feel no. like that's kind of horrible because eyes can help people. You can have an eyeball transplant, can't you? And like literally yeah. be able to see again. I don't know. It makes me feel kind of bad. But I then think I'm like, somehow you can specify what 
It's, or even you can say you want your body donated to science. Just like, yeah. yeah. It sounds okay, but I, I have heard some stories that have made me question that um, yeah. uh, route. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll have to do some uh, end of life, either crimes or some sort of, mm. you know, what to do with your body sort of uh, episode. Because it's very fascinating, yeah. the, the options you have nowadays. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so going from here, uh, investigators are trying to piece together what happened. Uh, it said that no one who fired the... No one saw who fired the fatal shot or from where, and no one had been spotted running from the scene, and then no weapon was discovered. So they didn't really have anything to go on. fuck? Okay. Uh, Yeah. It was only later witnesses said that they might recall hearing a dull thud, almost like the cracking of a plastic bottle. That's what it was described as. Which led investigators mm. to believe that meant that possibly a silencer was used on the gun. Which yeah. Is, like, which would help with, like, why it wasn't really heard. Right. It sounds like yeah. it, it seemed more muffled than people yeah. were used to associating with a gunshot, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So during these investigations into the shooting, the public was pretty shocked by the randomness of this crime. Well, investigators at the same time were complaining that the law faculty at the school was not really cooperating with them. Uh, They weren't really wanting to do interviews, answer questions, uh, anything like that. Whoa. And yeah, so police or investigators basically said that this pointed to some fears that they may have had about bad publicity for the university um, and that this was overpowering them even wanting to help catch the killer. Like they just seemed more concerned about the reputation of the school than trying to find out who killed Marta. Cause clearly it was somebody on the school grounds that had been let onto the school grounds. So. Right. Yeah. Which. Like, campuses aren't necessarily closed off, gated type of no. situations. But uh, it just sucks if if and when someone doesn't want to be tied to an investigation because they don't want to be, yeah. like, tainted or whatever. If yeah. that's the case. Yeah, so. It seemed like it was. Yeah. Hmm. That's too bad. Uh, A lot of times uh, things don't get investigated properly or reported properly which really sucks yeah Yeah. right yeah uh so marta's autopsy ended up showing that the bullet had entered her head from like kind of from behind and had entered from behind her left ear oh my god sorry this giving me like kennedy assassination vibes with the (laughs) back into the left and then oh, like okay. we, don't, we don't know where the shooter is and did you yeah. there's a whole Seinfeld episode that was the first one I place yeah. I learned about a lot of the that spitter on. and they're like reenacting <laughs> yeah, it. It's the spitter, exactly. Yeah. So the spitter, it's the spitter, yeah. The second uh, spitter. That was pretty Yeah, there was like there that. must have been a second spitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like spit on yeah, Kramer and what's his nuts? Newman. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Um 
Yeah, so this came from behind her left ear. Um, when it entered her, okay. I'm going to say skull, it broke into 11 fragments and caused severe Ugh. damage. Again, she never yeah. woke up. She just basically, like, as soon as she was hit, she slumped down to the ground, was unconscious, and it was done. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, so the bullet trajectory that they figured out, um, there's kind of two of these. The bullet trajectory led investigators to the toilets uh, on the ground floor. Specifically, they believed one of the disabled stalls. But these toilets on the ground floor were used by hundreds of people every day. And they started searching the area. And again, this led to nothing. There's no shell casing. There's no gun. There's nothing. Probably like 10 million people's fingerprints everywhere. Can't really do much. Uh, and a breakthrough came when forensics at the scene suddenly showed traces of gunpowder on the windowsill of a window on the second floor, and which kind of led the investigation in a totally different direction. Uh, this window was part of the room. It was a reading room and part of the legal uh, philosophy department. And it was presumably the room that the shooter had used. Uh, So that kind of narrowed down who they were looking at. But there was no pass key or even like physical key that was needed to access the building the room was in. So. Oh, my God. They still have kind of a list. JFK guy that went to the book suppository. (laughs) Which I guess is not a reading room, but (laughs) interesting, weird. Um, I want to mention that later on, a year later, uh, in 1998, a different forensic expert actually was able to determine that this supposed gunshot residue was not gunpowder, and it was actually residual pollution. (laughs) Um... What? Yeah, but this <laughs> this is kind of like an off thing that I wanted to mention at this point because investigators still 100% go with that being the window of the shooter and then start like placing people at that window. But if that window is not in fact where she was shot from, then there's a problem. Oh, right. Yeah. The literal window. Not... <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes I think I'm thinking window of time, time of death. Oh no, right, this right, is like right, literal right. window. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. So if Crazy. this, because that's what blew the case wide open. They're like, now we know where the shooter was. There's gunshot residue or gunpowder, oh and now they're saying it wasn't actually. It was pollution the whole time. It wasn't actually gunpowder. Um, what the fuck? This reeks of conspiracy. <laughs> I don't so know. It, At the same time, a different trajectory um, of the bullet was done with lasers, and this also led investigators to room six. So they still did that. They still said it was room six on the second floor with the window. But at the same time, I think it's later on, it says there's six possible shooter locations based on trajectory, and the most likely are either that room or the bathrooms on the ground floor. Like, they can't even figure out what floor she was shot from. Like, okay. and the, the 
rooms are on the second floor out of these four story buildings. Like, oh, yeah. So, based on the thing of it being room six on the second floor, um, and thinking they have this gunshot or gunpowder residue, police eventually narrow down the list of possible suspects to about 25 people as these were the people that often used that room to read textbooks or use the computers in there. And investigators knew about what time the shooting occurred because a passerby had made the 911 call uh, at, at 11.42. So they knew it had happened right about 11.42. So they know oh, that. Yeah. That's when the 911. Okay. So that time's locked in. They know that. And they also know that at 11.44, just two minutes after the shooting, a call was made from room six to somebody. So they know people were in the room. Yeah, and an outgoing call was made. I think an outgoing, yeah. Ah. So with this in mind, um, presuming that this is the room she was shot from, they worked on determining who was in the room at the time. And... With the help of Maria Kiera Lipari, uh, who is the assistant to the head of the department. Uh, so she is, like, most often in the room, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. At first, she said she couldn't remember who specifically was in the room at the time, just that people were there. And then uh, <laughs> Maria, <right. laughs> she ended up stating that the secretary, a 45-year-old Gabriella Alito, as well as other people were in the room. And eventually, after many grueling hours of interrogation, as well as, this is where it gets so shitty because they do this multiple times, the threat of charges being brought up against herself for murder um, or being an accomplice. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Gabriella then pointed the finger at two people. Almost a month after the shooting took place. Suddenly she's saying like. These people were in the room. Because they're basically threatening. If you don't give us some names. We're going to charge you with it. Because you were in the room. Like. Oh yeah. okay. I don't like that. No. <laughs> um, I also don't like when Zencaster said it was reconnecting a minute ago. That made me a little anxious. <laughs> yeah I was like. Ah. <laughs> I didn't notice it, it. It might not have shown, but it just was like reconnecting, blah, blah, blah. And then it mm. it still says it's recording. Well, That's good. Yeah, yeah. It still says yeah. it's recording, so I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so suddenly uh, the secretary, Gabriella, is saying these two people were in the room. This is almost a month after the shooting. And okay. she's stating that she remembered seeing... Um, Oh, I haven't even said this guy. Giovanni Scatone. Uh, <laughs> no, but I talked about a Giovanni. No. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, she says that she remembers seeing G- uh, Scatone holding a gun by the window. And this was a statement she later retracts and says it didn't oh. happen. Oh, no. Um, so Who the made two- her retract that? <laughs> she did she retracted it saying that the police had basically threatened her into just saying anybody's name so she just said these two guys name or technically three sure. people's names 
But yeah. yeah, did one of those guys like did the the guys pressure her that she named? Maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. know. I go maybe a... typing up these notes. I was going back and forth on whether or not I thought they were involved at all, or yeah. If they're completely wrong and it did come from the bathroom in which case they have no idea who did it oh yeah okay i kind of kept going back and forth i was like i don't know what i believe in this one so (sighs) i was like this will be really interesting to share with everybody it also hasn't been covered in many things that aren't like in Italian for podcasting. It was on like one English podcast <laughs> ever. So Yeah, I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It can be hard. Yeah. You can be listening to something and be like, well, clearly it's this, but the second you have to cover it yourself or have to like make an opinion, I'm like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If I was a cop, no. would I put more store in this? Like it's it's all up to you when you're trying to unravel the mystery when yeah. you're the Yeah officer or whatever oh um so giovanni scatone is 29 uh salvatore ferrero is 30 so they're the two that she mainly points out um (laughs) yeah ferrero not roche uh but i love that stuff (laughs) yeah uh they were junior lecturers in the legal philosophy department at the university Okay. Uh, hmm. So after the fingers were, or her finger, like pointed at them, named them, uh, neither really had a strong alibi. Um, one of them said that they were like at home, and it was corroborated for the fact that one of their sisters called the house at a specific time and he answered, but then they pointed to the fact that from that call being made at 11:30 it would take them exactly 12 minutes to walk from that house to the location of the shooting and the shooting took place exactly 12 minutes from the when that call was confirmed to have happened at 11:30 so they're like technically they still could have done it but it would be like <sighs> they would have left his house or his sister's house or whatever walked straight there and then like boom shot her like yeah, I was just going to say, that's too much math for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Um, so neither yeah. really had a good good alibi, and neither even okay. actually knew knew the victim. Like, um, oh, what the heck? Yeah, both came were described as coming from a comfortable middle-class home, and they were both really good students. Like, obviously, they're junior lecturers in the legal department. Like, they're at least kind of, like, teaching assistant jobs. Oh my god, Gordo, stop. He's push he's stretching, but he's pushing buttons on the keyboard. Uh, <laughs> you're like changing font and adding spaces. Please stop. Please stop. Put your paws behind the computer. Um <laughs> Yeah, so as I said, neither had neither had a criminal record and neither had a reason to want to target Marta. Uh there was no ordinary motive for killing her. So investigators reviewed her, like, life, uh, trying to figure out why somebody would shoot her in the head. Um, She was a former regional fencing champion. Oh, that's so cool. Right? But, and Um, nerdy. Like, why would someone kill you for that? If that was... (laughs) Uh, 
she had no past history with drug use um, or like mm. alcoholism. No, okay. she wasn't overly political or religious. Right. Um, and she, she it was just like walked the straight and narrow and didn't ruffle any feathers. Yeah. One of the sources even said she, in every way she was described as painfully average. And I was like, oh. Oh, I don't love those words. <laughs> yeah. It was like, in her life, she was average. She was an average student. And then it just kept saying average and was like, <sighs> in all ways, she was average. I was like, oh. I mean, we've rude. never come up with anything good. You know, nowadays we just say, oh, yeah, I guess I'm a basic bitch, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. wrong with us? There's nothing wrong with being a little boring. <laughs> yeah. It just means um, you're not a super like drama queen. <laughs> yeah, I oh I personally gosh. think being a former regional fencing champion is pretty like fucking kick ass. So I, I do don't think too. that's boring. I think that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, the source said she had a boyfriend at the time. The only quote I got from him was translated from like Italian to English and made mm. absolutely no sense. So oh no. <laughs> As with a lot of the quote, I don't think I used a single quote because none of them like grammatically made oh. even close to sense or they used the wrong like pronouns. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to try and rewrite okay. these. So, yeah. Hmm. um, Yeah, they also said uh, like her boyfriend, there was nothing against him. They were really happy and she had no past like angry ex-boyfriends or anything like that. Um, she was described as just this average 22-year-old law student from a middle-class uh, suburb of Rome. And her father, Donato Russo, was a gym teacher. Her mother, Aureliana. It almost looks like Aurora, but it's not. Aureliana. That pretty. Uh, <laughs> Lacobani. Kobani. Uh, she was a housewife and then she also had a sister Tiziana and Ooh. yeah <laughs> it's like T-I-Z-I-A-N-A Tiziana and Tiziana <laughs> yeah. uh, Marta herself uh, sadly had only turned 22 just a month before her tragic death which makes me sad like she was so young oh my gosh so fucking young yeah. um so at this point investigators believe that the shooting they there's no really motive like they can't figure out what's going on so they shift yeah. their gear to that this was some sort of intellectual challenge of attempting to commit the perfect murder and that the people involved oh, had somehow hoped that they would not be caught as there was no direct motive between them and marta so like basically just kill a stranger on campus and we probably won't get caught so okay. Um, at the same time, the media was focusing that it may have been a dare, like maybe somebody was dared to shoot somebody, um, or it was some sort of, like, I think it's pronounced Nietzschean, is that like Nietzschean philosophy or whatever they do? 
like really annoying. Yeah. 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 Like it's Nietzsche. Right. Frederick Nietzsche. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Nietzsche, I guess. I've never seen that word. Yeah. Like, literally, I was like, like I've heard it, but I haven't heard it in a while. So I was like, I don't know. Um, but they were I know. like the two. So, I've heard people say Jungian, and I'm like, oh, you're talking about that philosopher? <laughs> yeah. So um, the two that she accused uh, of having sh- like shot out the window or whatever, they were technically like students. They were like learning about this. Um, so then the media like ran with this that it was like this Nietzschean compulsion to be the Ubermensch or like super Superman kind of like thing that it was like yeah that's just what the media did um the the guys that were um like Scatone and Ferrero basically were like no that's not what this was but they also deny it happened um, so this motive was denied Weird. and no proof of it was ever really found. Like there was no writing that they ever did, anything like that, talking about this type of thing. Um so they basically the two guys get arrested for Marta's killing, which is crazy, I think, because they don't really have anything other than like Gabriella's pointing her finger, being like, they were in the room. Right. At the window. Um, so, because this, like, murder was a really complex complex case, and with little evidence and this lack of motive for the crime, it ended up gaining a lot of media attention. They said in Italy at the time, there was a lot of, like, mafia killings and stuff. Everything seemed to be, like, gang-related or drug-related, and this kind of shocked people because it was just a random shooting at a university and they're like it doesn't really happen in italy it's more of sadly more of an american thing and it seemed to come out of nowhere it still has a motive sorry it just makes me so mad it's like you can't just discount that it has some connection or whatever you know yeah you gotta investigate yeah Hmm. um yeah, so there was a lot of media attention on it. The court court proceedings were actually broadcast live on the radio as the public became really concerned for this random shooting. Um, it even led to some parents insisting that their children wear motorcycle helmets while outside, like walking, and to only take them off if they were inside buildings. What? So that they, they wouldn't get <laughs> shot in the head, too. It was kind of oh wild. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Those poor kids. Probably traumatized. Um, Yeah. Uh, During this time, newspapers depicted the two men as being obsessed with guns. It even went as far as saying that they had conducted a seminar for students uh, at the university, focusing on the difficulties of prosecuting a motiveless crime. Like, so they just made up bullshit saying, like, they hosted a seminar saying how it's difficult to prosecute in a motiveless <laughs> crime and then they committed a what? motiveless crime and we're like but we didn't do it it's oh like yeah no God. they actually host this seminar both of these were fake they're not gun obsessed it didn't happen but that's what the pop like the newspapers what were saying the... about them at the time oh that's yeah. so insane <laughs> right i can just shake my head that's all i can do 
Like, what? Around the time of the trial, suddenly a videotape of Gabriella, that secretary in the room six, um, was released. This video was her actually being interrogated and was recorded secretly by the secret services. And it was released to the public. I don't really know how. Um, oh. But this was okay. pretty shocking. Her brother-in-law was present uh, during the interrogation as he was actually a policeman. And he was heard on the tape telling her that she needed to accuse some suspects, even though she didn't actually see the shooting take place. Like, he said okay. that to her. We know you didn't see it, but you need to just accuse people. Like, we need you to say you saw people. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh the tape God. also showed the prosecutors warning her, quote, you are, you are guilty of murder, and, quote, you will never again come out of prison. This is what they're saying to her. Um, they said this to her during a break, um, kind of like downtime um, or intermission through part of one of the interrogations. Yeah. Um, Gabriella Alito was shown also on the tape, um, kind of in like a despairing mood. She's in tears. Um, she's swearing up and down that she wasn't even in the reading room at the time of the killing. So, like, how, how would she know who exactly was in the room? And okay. this video was taken just three days before she had signed that full declaration saying that she had seen um, Scatone and Ferrero in the room. So this video of her, like, swearing she wasn't even in the room was three days before she signed the thing. Basically, at one point, saying, like, she saw them holding guns. They were playing with them by the window. So, like, it... I feels okay. like, um forced out of her and like like witness intimidation that kind of stuff like wow um <laughs> okay so, sorry um what they ended up saying was that like during the trial that Scatone had a pistol in his hand for unknown reasons and that he had accidentally took a shot out the window then panicking okay. sure <laughs> just playing with my gun oops um accident <laughs> yeah it, it just happens to have a silencer on it um presumably <laughs> so i also find weird uh panicking skatone <laughs> yeah skatone and ferrero ran away and then hid the weapon uh, there was also other alternate theories oh. I just wanted to quickly list, but not really get into. Um, these were all oh, later yeah. dismissed, including some sort of link to organized crime or the mafia. Oh. Um, yeah, so people were like, it's a hit job. She was shot in the head, like execution style, but from a distance. It was, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, she was clearly uh, shot, yeah. Yeah. Another theory that was um, later dismissed was the fact that some people on the university's cleaning crew, like the janitors basically, had passions for firearms. They had made handmade silencers and handmade shell casings. Oh my God. really heard of that. Um, yeah, also no, said, me either. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, maybe that was a translation issue. Uh, 
Right? Because I know you can load gunpowder into, like, your own bullets. That's a thing. And then they're like, sure. So I'm like, maybe it's a weird translation thing about that. Right. Um, it did say that they, during this line of theory, it was dismissed because none of their weapons really matched the one from the scene, which I also find confusing because mm-hmm. the bullet went into 11 fragments. So how would you be able really to tell? Yeah, I don't know. Unless none of them were a 22 at all, then you could. Like, yeah, any of the fragments. Right. Yeah. Um, police also at one point thought that the real target may have even been Marta's friend Yolanda that she was walking with because Ooh. Yolanda's father was a senior official in the poli- in the prison service and he had actually been in charge of Rome's maximum security prison. So they thought oh. maybe it was a hit out on her and Marta was just in the way and then she had accidentally got shot and it was kind of like revenge what? for um, Yolanda's Crazy. father. This is craziness, if that's the case. It's yeah. like soap opera. <laughs> um, yeah. So the defense team for the two men were trying to put forward the idea that Marta wasn't shot from the second story window, that she was shot from the ground floor, um, presumably that bathroom area. Uh, the experts or their experts also criticized the ballistics report that indicated that the bullet was fired from room six, saying that the fatal shot could have been fired from six other locations and that the most likely were the two bathrooms on the ground floor that I kind of mentioned. Um, Cause that is the first ballistics thing they did was saying it was from the bathroom. That's why they searched there. And then it was later that they were like, it's actually from room six. Oh, okay. yeah. That's weird. Mm-hmm. And remember, like, they only pointed to room six in the first place because of that quote-unquote gunpowder residue, which didn't exist in the first place. So, like, they're still focusing on room six when it presumably wasn't even room six. Like, it's still oh the main gosh. thing. Yeah. It's very um, mysterious. Yeah. Um, they brought up some sort of phone bill. Um, I think they mean, like, phone call like log or timing or something that somehow contradicted the witness statements of uh, Maria and then indirectly the secretary Gabriella Alito it didn't really say what was like what contradicted what in this quote-unquote phone bill but just that the defense was talking about it in court okay so yeah maybe the phone calls didn't come in at the same time they said they did or something i think so maybe okay yeah um we can speculate the men, <laughs> yeah that's the thing this one like i'm going through this and like there really is any of these could be fairly plausible that's why i kind of go uh, back and forth on whether or not i believe they really did it because it's like if mm. they were in room six sure but was room six actually where she was shot from oh my god <laughs> yeah so, um, unfortunately, at least for the guys, their behavior in court did not help them. Uh, Scatone was or described as appearing quite indifferent um, to what was happening, while Ferrero appeared to be arrogant, talkative, and preppy. Like, they were kind of... Okay. Just not coming across great for the jury, I'd say. Um, Nobody likes which... a preppy. 
Just yeah. <laughs> Giovanni Scatone was eventually found guilty of involuntary manslaughter um, because there was no premeditation that could be determined, so they didn't charge them with, like, first-degree murder or anything like that. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So it was downgraded to manslaughter, and he was convicted based on his criminal negligence or this carelessness. Um, they kind of believed that he was, like, playing with a gun and accidentally shot it out the window. So they called it, like, negligence and carelessness. What? And he was okay. he was sentenced to seven years. And Salvatore Ferrero was declared responsible for aiding and abetting Scatone. So he was given four years, because presumably he had helped him... F- hide the gun and like escape or something yeah um the the jury didn't really believe this quote perfect crime theory about like trying to commit the perfect murder and instead they believed that marta's shooting was just this tragic error from playing with this dangerous it said a dangerous toy but it was a gun like playing with a gun right um this i didn't really get into but it did say that under Italy's Byzantine uh, legal system, a sentence is only enforced once the defendants have exercised their right to appeal to two higher courts. And until that happens, <laughs> they're not actually in custody. So it said after they were charged oh, really? in filed appeals, they were actually free. So they had been held in protective custody for like a year and a half between the shooting leading up to their trial. And then once no. they were sentenced, they were actually released from custody until they made their appeals. Which I wanted to mention because <laughs> I don't really understand it. it. makes no sense to me. But there was even statements from her family being like, oh, now that they're sentenced for her death, now they get to walk free until they've made their appeals. And those have been denied. And then they'll go to prison or something. That's different. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was very different. Too. I was like, yeah. I don't get that um no (laughs) yeah um i didn't really get into it but there was another man who had been named as being an accomplice to the two guys um he was also named by gabriella lolito uh this was a library assistant at the school named francesco liparota liparoto liparota uh he ended up going through the trial as well, um, all that stuff for the year and a half. And he was acquitted and then convicted of it um, during an appeal he made. Okay. Or somebody made. Okay. And then finally, the alle- all the allegations against him ended up being dismissed. So I didn't really get oh into it because his were Weird. dismissed. Um, right. The public was kind of like me they were left divided on whether the two men were guilty or not. And judges, politicians, and even journalists spoke out saying that uh, Scatone and Ferrero were innocent. Um, I don't really sh- know exactly how long the trial lasted. One thing said over a year. Another thing said six years. I'm going to say oh probably a year. Because six would be excessive. Maybe they meant over six months. <laughs> Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Um, Such a difference though. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. okay. One year? Uh, six years. You know, it's it's one well, of those. It said, <laughs> it said they were charged in like 1998, and it happened in 1997. So I was like, that's not six years. Uh, I mean, it's one. No, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> um, so maybe trial... they served a portion. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I don't know. 
Um, their trial was followed by long appeals, kind of back and forth, didn't really want to get into it. Um, there was also investigations into possible misconduct, as I kind of talked about with the police. There was threatening of witnesses, questioning the credibility of the main witness for the prosecution, which I assume was Gabriella. They didn't say that, okay. though. Um, later, the criminal, uh, the criminal Court of Paraguay, or Paraguay, I don't really know sure how you're supposed to pushes it. Gordo away. Paraguay. Yeah. Go away. Go away. I know he keeps jumping on the laptop. <laughs> I know. Well he's trying to get across to like play with something, but I don't want him on that side of the desk. So there. Don't worry, back. you guys can just excuse this episode. <laughs> if if we record the next part of it tomorrow, you'll just never know. It'll just be yeah. seamless. There'll be no Gordo interference. No. <laughs> Oh, there will. Last week's episode, oh, I left so much of yeah. it in. There was like, I mean, to be it, fair, been, there's always it would have been Gordo. too difficult to edit out. So, oh my god, it's hard sometimes. It's very true. Fuck off. It's like putting your toddler in the corner. She just yeah. picks him up and it's like, nope, just chuck him. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh. Yeah, so there's all this stuff questioning, like, did the prosecution act appropriately? Did investigators act appropriately? All that kind of stuff. And the criminal yeah. court of Paraguay uh, absolved the prosecutors from any of these accusations of abuse of office, um, as well as the threat or threat of private violence against Gabriella. So they were basically, like... All of that was just wiped clean. Like, okay. they weren't prosecuted for anything. Private um, violence. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. After both filings, there was many appeals over the next few years. And uh, in 2003, Scatone was actually given, like, five years and four months. And then Ferrero was given uh, four oh. years and two months. And... Yeah, so they were All supposed right. to get, what was it, seven and five years. So they, they're, each of their things went a little bit, but they had also served a few years already. So they were basically just like re-given probably what their remainder was. Um, right. Yeah, both always maintained their innocence in it. Um, going into what happened later... Uh, Scatone served about a year in prison where he completed his PhD and then about another year of house arrest and later the court granted him a complete legal criminal rehabilitation um, oh, this from what I could tell it basically would protect him from any future sentences for the shooting but that sounded very like double jeopardy-ish so I don't really know Okay, uh, not being able like to try like, for the same yeah. case. Yeah. Because um, he was but already he, tried. Yeah, and like he served right. time for it, so that kind of confused right. me, but yeah. Maybe Italy is a yeah. little different. Um, In 2005, it kind of made news again because he became a high school professor of philosophy um, oh <laughs> and he had also previously okay. had a job as a psychology teacher, but he was forced to resign following pressure from the Russo family, from Marta's family. 
um, like in oh. the press, they were saying like all this stuff about like how dare he be a teacher? He shot her daughter, like all this kind of oh, stuff. Okay, so, okay, yeah, not like the Russo brothers, like the Marvel no. guys, <laughs> no. or Daniel Russo just... from uh, K- Cobra Kai or the Karate Kid. Oh, yeah, I think we were meant to watch that one, but. I don't know. We watched something. I can't remember. I, it, there's a new season of Black Mirror. Apparently that's yeah. all fucked up. We'll see. <laughs> I watched Jane yeah. is off. Joan oh. is awful. Joan, Jane is awful. I can't even remember. That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I got a little confused partway through, but then I feel like I understood it in the end. Oh but it was God. fun. Because people you didn't expect to be in it. I was like, is that Michael Sarah? And I'm like, fucking Salma Hayek. And... I actually kind of love Michael Sarah, like from Rusty. Yeah, he was funny. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, too funny. Yeah. Um, to out. Yeah, I don't have much left. Just a little bit more. Um, from Wikipedia, more about Scatone said that he wrote some essays, did some translations, and even worked as a ghostwriter. And then in 2001, Scatone married a writer and scriptwriter. Um, yeah. And Salvatore Ferrero, after getting out, he devoted himself to political activism and to the activity of lawyer and bookseller it's like straight from wikipedia i don't really know what that means he devoted himself to political activism and to the activity of lawyer and bookseller i'm not laughing at you right now because you can see my face i think i can hear gordo playing with this little (laughs) bottle oh can you cute i think so I can hear like, it. I didn't know if you could. You know, it's kind of like that hollow, like, echoey sound. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy's <laughs> mad at me. I'm gonna go play in another room. <laughs> that episode of Seinfeld where le- they're, like, watching, like, a stage performance of some kind and, like, this bottle falls. is like, ding, 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 ding. It's, like, so loud. Yeah. <laughs> that was Seinfeld, right? Anyway. I think so. I don't know. I'm glad um, that you've watched some of it now. I'm excited to watch more. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I I'm excited to hear the rest of yours, and then uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I can't record tomorrow because I have to cut the grass. But... Uh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we'll see. I just have a couple paragraphs left. Uh, the rest from Wikipedia, the little blurb said Scatone and Ferrero were also sentenced, um, I think it means to provide civil compensation of 1 million euros to Marta Russo's parents and sister, uh, oh, wow. in 2011. Um. Okay. Don't really know how that worked, but. <laughs> Some sort That's of That's what Wikipedia said. Oh. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, one cool thing <laughs> that happened, or I guess a few cool things that happened, was Marta Russo's funeral. Um, I don't know when exactly it happened. It seemed like it happened pretty early on when they were doing their investigations, so they may not have even known or thought they known who had done it at this time, but 
it was attended by more than 10,000 students, I think, at the university. Holy shit. Yeah, it was huge. There's pictures of the crowd, like, part wow. of it with her her um, coffin, and it's crazy. Um, It looks like a concert, basically. Oh, it's yeah. So many people. Um, they were joined by Prime Minister Prodi and the Italian President Oscar Luigi Scalfero. Oh, um, right. Italian Prime Minister. Not our Prime Minister. <laughs> no, the Italian Prime Minister, um, as well as the Italian President. Um, so Wait they were a second. At her funeral. They have both? I don't know. Anyway. That could have been a translation issue from whatever source I found that in, but... Oh yeah, that um, was a little, that's a little confusing. But then again, yeah. whatever. What the fuck do I know? <laughs> um, I know I know we have a prime minister. <laughs> yeah, there was also some other dignitaries that were there. Uh, mm-hmm. Pope John Paul II even sent the family oh, wow. a message of condolence. Um, okay. And um, from what I could gather, Marta is buried in Verano Cemetery in Rome. Uh, she was granted a degree in memory from the university and they ended up putting up a commemorative plaque uh about her i think on one of the buildings and then as well as that they named some of the classrooms in the university after her um yeah and in 2001, a park in Rome was named after Marta. And one thing I think is really, really cool was that her family, after her death, ended up starting the Marta Rousseau Foundation. Which, from what I could gather in the one source that briefly mentioned it, it promotes organ donation. Um and it said that they go and talk in like schools and stuff like that. But it said they go and talk in elementary schools, and I feel like that's wrong. But <laughs> oh wow, very young, yeah, yeah. But some some <laughs> level of schooling, they mm-hmm. her foundation and her family will go and like speak and promote about organ donation because like Marta really cared about it. Um, yeah, and it was something she like believed in, um, which I think is really cool that they started that foundation for her to help that because i feel like that helps so many people too like organ donation one one person's body worth of organs can change so many people's lives so yeah that's yeah, very really true cool that they did that yeah mm-hmm. and that's what i have which is crazy because like i said i go back and forth on whether or not i believe they did it because really it's all just the witness saying you were in the room and i may or may not have seen you playing with a gun yeah like, so that's a kind of a lot of he said she said bullshit yeah. as they say like they have mm-hmm. they have no weapon they have yeah. nothing other yeah. than a witness who was sounds like thoroughly interrogated and harassed and threatened with multiple people were threatened saying that they would be charged for Marta's murder if they didn't name somebody Ugh. else. Which That's not what you want. <laughs> no. And I mean, yeah, that's why I, yeah. I really flip-flop on whether or not I believe they were ever even really involved. Which <laughs> is hard. Gonna, yeah. I 
I feel like I feel the same, but I will also double check and double listen because I think I edit this one. So it's just like, yeah, you know, when you hear something twice, sometimes it's yeah a little bit easier to digest and like, yeah, this was that was an interesting one. I don't know. I just... Yeah, when I was reading the notes. <sighs> It was hard piecing it together because different things said slightly different things. And I feel like a lot yeah. of it was translation issues. Because like I said, only one oh, podcast yeah. has ever really covered this in English. So most of the yeah, sources like auto, auto-translated. auto um, But I feel like the motiveless-ness oh, okay. and like randomness of it is just so bizarre like nobody heard the gun there's no weapon nobody was running yeah. away like that was weird like why yeah. and who did it and yeah almost 30 years later like we still don't know Ugh. <laughs> thanks i hate yeah. it <laughs> yeah i had to share it with all of you so you could hate yeah. it too <laughs> yeah wait is this our unsolved no <laughs> Um, I think mine's solved, but we yeah. will take a break and we'll get back to it and uh, we'll see you then. Gotham Dark and fair greetings. I'm borrowing your ears for a second or two to talk about my true crime podcast, Crime Viking. Modern tales of true crime with your host, the Viking. Detailed examinations of cases with the odd rabbit hole thrown in for good measure. Check me out at Crime Viking on TikTok, Instagram and Twitter. Podcast available on Spotify, Apple and all good podcast hosts. Part of the Darkcast Network. Come join the Oathsworn. Darkcast Network, indie pods with a dark side. All right, welcome back welcome. to part two of <laughs> Italian crimes. Italian crimes. Oh my god, yes. It's been half a week <laughs> since we recorded part one. But no time at all for you. So <laughs> it's been just but moments. Yes, we have played you a promo for one of our lovely indie podcaster friends. So we're gonna do that. And uh it's gonna be, you know, a lovely one. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be very fitting for this episode. <laughs> I could just feel it. Future Alana, you got this. Um <laughs> So today I get to tell you guys all about Charles Ponzi, the father of the Ponzi scheme. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Does it sound familiar? Ponzi scheme does, but I do not know the history of that. So. Yeah, I didn't either. I knew it sounded familiar, but also like kind of hadn't heard it in a while. And Yeah. I think we'll find out why. I think it's been it's been rebranded. <laughs> uh, pause for cough. 
also, it's been a week and a half, however, whatever you said. And also, we have are joined in our studio by Fenrir, so if yeah. you hear anything, it's he's panting in the background. And we're recording this together while we're in the same room. <laughs> I know, it's weird. This is something we usually do for our video mini-sodes, but... Yeah. Whatever, you can always hop on over to Patreon for more video content. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll start doing the long episodes there someday. You never know. But we're on one mic, so forgive us. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, so he was born March 3rd. He was born March 3rd in 1882. Ooh, okay. That's (laughs) older than I was expecting. Oh, yeah. Just like 100 years or so younger than me. Yeah. But also born in March. <laughs> and uh, it was in Lugo, Italy. So he is technically an Italian criminal. Um, but he might not, uh, you know, stay just in that area. He might not keep oh, in his lane. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's a Pisces. And his full name is Carlo Pietro Giovanni Guglielmo. Tebaldo Ponzi. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot. This guy has a very long name, uh, Charles Ponzi, is, as we said, but he was actually very, very short. He, well, for a man, <clears throat> he was pretty teeny. He's five foot two inches, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's a little shorter than, than me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and me. I mean, so... Got that, what do they call it? Short man syndrome? <laughs> maybe, maybe a Napoleon complex. I was reading something the other day and they were joking that, oh yeah, the secret was that Napoleon always put his hand inside his pocket because he liked to hide a sandwich there. I was like, what? <laughs> Who thinks of these things? And it was a fictional novel, don't worry. <laughs> Just like, this is my portrait sandwich? Yeah. I was like, what if he did? <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> um, and what he t- would tend to do in his scheme was he would promise clients 50, 50% profit within like 45 days or 100% profit within 90 days. So you can Ooh, see it definitely yeah. had appeal. <laughs> yep. Dog yawns. All right, <clears throat> let's get into it. <laughs> Hold on to your butts, Fenrir. He didn't invent swindling, of course, but or even be the first person to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul, as they say. I mean, hello. I'm sure we've yeah. all done that once or twice. Uh, but he did it so well on such a grand scale that they named this particular type of con after him. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool. And his ancestors had been very well to do, so maybe he was trying to regain some of that, uh, Mm. yeah, family wealth. The general, maybe he didn't get the generational wealth, but his mother was actually given the title Donna, which is like denotes nobility. So it's kind of like if you're a duke or a a duchess or something like that, I guess. Yeah, apparently, a Donna, a Don. I was like, oh, I just always thought Don was like some kind of mafia boss. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard Don before, not Donna. Yeah, well, 
Love. Are my parents mafia bosses? <laughs> Donna. <laughs> Donna and Tom. If you ever read Donna. the Discovery Witches book or watched the TV series of it, they her name's Diana, but when they're in Italy, he's one of the guys starts calling her like, like La Bella or La Donna or something. I thought mm. Bella is pretty. Maybe yeah, Donna is woman or something. Because then you get the word prima donna. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, Bella Donna. It's all Bella. That's my D D <sighs> character. <laughs> A poisonous plant. <laughs> yeah. I made Kelsey watch the Dungeons and Dragons movie today. <laughs> I think good. she liked it. Oh, right, nice. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, his mom was a Donna. <laughs> um, and he went to the University of Rome, La Sapienza. And on November 15th, 1903, he arrived in Boston aboard the SS Vancouver, which I thought was a fun fact because I'm pretty sure my sister sailed on a hms vancouver as yeah. she told me i believe they're normally like christened or named after where they set sail from like where they oh okay em- dis- or embark from <laughs> disembark disembark is getting off of it oh i don't know i'm i'm show- i don't speak boat because <laughs> i know embark is like wh- what you're going to you're embarking on it right right so disembark should be where you're leaving from like where the ship first leaves port from though so i don't know if there's a better word for that russa help where it was christened i don't know yeah like where it set sail from yeah Oh my god, I can't believe it. I'm like, Fenrir, save sales. us. <laughs> okay. Save us, Fenrir. What's the word? <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, so basically, yeah, on, I'm going to say it again. On November 15th, 1903, he arrived in Boston aboard the SS Vancouver. Um, so, yeah. And then he arrived at that time with only two fifty in his pocket. $2.50. Jeez. Having gambled his savings away during the voyage... Or some said he basically got taken in by a card sharp. So obviously he partook in some gambling and it didn't go well for him. Not great. But (laughs) $2.50 is probably still a lot in like the 1880s. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or 1903 now. Come on now. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. Hi, buddy. Now I'm getting... Now you're getting the, the kisses. Arm licks. <laughs> that noble tea so good, mom. You guys, if we did the video, his the tips All you of can his see ears are showing. His ears, and I am covered by a mic. And some, <laughs> you can't see me. We might have to adjust, <laughs> but we will be filming more videos soon. For yeah, Patreon. Oh, it's always it's always a fun time. <laughs> um. Okay, so this guy famously said, I land, well, I don't know how famously, but <laughs> they like to quote it in a lot of the articles. So I landed in this country with 250 in cash and $1 million in hopes, and those hopes never left me. Never left me, say, never left me. <laughs> All right. So he had some odd jobs along the East Coast. He's trying to make up some money, maybe, you know, repay his savings, I guess. <laughs> He worked as a waiter and was fired for theft from oh. that. 
Sounds on brand. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, if they want to get rich quick, it's usually because they're a little bit lazy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to do the hard work like we do for you. Um, he was painting signs in Florida. Um, he's all up and down the coast. In 1907, uh, so just a few years later, he moved to Montreal to find more opportunities where he became an assistant teller in the newly opened Banco Zarossi, a bank on St. Jacques Street. It was owned by Italian immigrant Luis Zarossi. And it was doing well at first. It was paying 6% interest on bank deposits, which was double the going rate at this time. Nice. Pretty good. Um, but then he was promoted. Charles was promoted to bank manager. However, the bank then started to struggle due to some bad bank loans they lent out, I guess. Uh, it was said, or I read that Zarasi started funding the payments by using money just newly deposited in accounts. Ooh, so not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's that Peter to pay Paul. <laughs> but it is crazy what banks can do because they only have to have like, at least from different kind of conspiracy theory and different videos I've seen on like the U.S.'s bank system, how they only have to have like 10% of their what they're supposed to have of your money actually in the bank at any given time. And then they can yeah. like make loans and do whatever on the rest. And it's kind of like, Oh, they get to just like play with money that they don't even have to. Technically yeah. That's keep why the runs there. on the banks during um, <sighs> depressions and economic crashes is so bad. And it makes the bank fail. It's because everybody's a run on the bank. Everybody's trying to withdraw right. all of their money and the money's actually not there. Do you think total... the bank has a Ziploc baggie with your 10 grand or whatever in it that says this is Kelsey's on a shelf. Physical cash. Like, fuck no. It's gone. Oh, it's not a great It's all zeros and ones at that point. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the way they just just... print their own money is like... Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, our banks are not great either. We charge a shit ton of fees. Yeah. And they, like, make super tons of money on this. I don't know. I can't remember the figure because one year Pat was like, they made, like, $2 billion off of bank fees. And that's because they'd be like, oh, you want money out of your account? Or <laughs> you yeah, want to go to a different ATM? fees and, yeah. Fucking give us your money. <laughs> yeah, all because you choose to deposit money to them. Something bounce. Fuck you, NSF fees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anywho, I get why people get mad and try and do these crazy things. Yeah. So this bank failed and Zarasi fled to Mexico with the majority of the bank's money. Wow. Yeah. So another uh, Italian (laughs) criminal, actually, uh, possibly his inspiration. Um, uh, Ponzi apparently stayed on in Montreal for a time, even staying at Zarasi's house, where I assume he was helping out the family there oh. who I guess got left behind I don't find much details on that part <laughs> I mean but that's not really about him it's about Ponzi so he was trying to plan a return to the US and to start over but Ponzi was still penniless basically <laughs> especially after the bank that he'd been working for like yeah <laughs> went under in such a way that ripped off the owner just ran 
Um, one day, he walked into the office of a former Zarasi customer, which was a place called Canadian Warehousing, um, which I'm like, Canadian Tire? What? Yeah. <laughs> Why do we name things like this? <laughs> so you know it's Canadian. It's extra Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, he's still in Quebec, so, you know, <laughs> this time, I guess. And this place was deserted, so he just sat down and he wrote a check out to himself. Oh, God. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's super fraudy. <laughs> yeah. He forged the signature of one Damien Fournier, uh, the director of the company, and he made it out for the very specific amount of $423.58. <laughs> nice. I'm sure back then was a lot of money. Yeah, it's a very nice even number, too. Like, Which yeah. is kind of like good, because you wouldn't want it to be like 43 450 even that might be more suspicious i don't know i don't know yeah i'm not sure what he said that the check was made out for on the memo line (laughs) yeah so um police eventually grew suspicious i guess of his large purchases and he was arrested and even jailed there for a time so he did some time in canada and then uh, that's just the beginning of his <laughs> origin story. Um, and and what is the Ponzi scheme, which we're going to get into? It's not always known by that name anymore, but it's had many names throughout the years uh, that I've heard it by, too. So but first the Ponzi scheme, then there's the pyramid scheme. Yeah. It was used for a time, and now I feel like I hear it called more often the MLM or the multi-level marketing yeah. uh, scheme, because <laughs> yeah. it's still the same thing. <laughs> it is. It's all the same thing. Yep. She's reinvented herself, but I'm like, it just boils down the same. <laughs> so basically, um, and I took it from a quote here. Money is taken from today's investors, used used to pay off debts to yesterday's investors. Typically, these investors are lured by promises of exorbitant profits, 50, even 100%. Often, they are coached to recruit more investors to enrich themselves further. The problem is that there are no actual, that there is no actual investment going on. The only activity is the shuffling of money from new investors to old ones. What's up, buddy? I wonder how that actually works then. Like, how much money are they able to keep then if they're still trying to pay off the previous investors? So, the end of the quote is, everything is fine until the scheme runs out of new investors and the whole house of cards comes tumbling down. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> works until it doesn't, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think maybe nowadays, maybe they're just on such a bigger scale that, like... Yeah. It's like every time you see someone like, oh, like that's a, there's one episode of Shit's Creek or whatever where they start selling this oh, high-end that's... product. And they're like, yeah, that came through town like yeah. two years ago. Exactly. We're all a, you know, super regional manager of yeah. <laughs> selling like, I guess, you know, it used to be like, I guess they say even Avon or whatever. Yeah. And nowadays you get the ones like um, Epicure people used to sell at our office oh. sometimes with the fancy kitchen-y stuff and yeah, yeah i had to know it was like avon and tupperware oh yeah, yeah it's a big one too yeah 
Yeah, because that works the same, I think. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> that tickled. Fenrir, what are you doing? Hi, buddy. Don't oh, we're going to have some Fenrir outtakes on this one. <laughs> you just booped me right on the nose. Boop. Boop. I know I'm drinking something that smells so good. I'm sorry. Like, he's kind of like hair. <laughs> yeah, he loves to smell my breath. Oh, you do some fruity or minty or... Okay, lay down. Or do you want outside? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Pop the third podcast. <laughs> oh, I want to take a picture. Anyway. <laughs> Throughout history, this had massive repercussions. The Smithsonian article I was reading uh, was a historical article originally posted in 1998. <laughs> LOL. There's a paw on me. Okay. And it was reposted in the wake of the death of another famous grifter who was named Bernie Madoff. Ooh, yeah, I know that name. Okay, yeah, yeah. me too. I did also think, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've heard that. Well, first they said Bernard Madoff, and I was like, what? And then I, like, yeah, he's a big Wall Googled Street him. guy and stuff, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. It said he was an American financier who masterminded one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history, who was worth about $64.8 billion. Holy crap. Okay. But was he ever Lots. really actually worth that money? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just know they reposted this article when he died a couple years back or something. I was like, okay, okay. Because I was like, what? And and, uh, so they referenced this in it. In 1997, the collapse of dozens of Ponzi schemes in Albania sparked mass rioting that escalated into a national crisis. Albania. Uh, Yeah. Which has a whole Wikipedia t- page titled 1997 Albanian Civil Unrest. Oh, it's crazy. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in New York City, investors lost a $1.5 billion, billion when the Bennett Funding Group, I wrote the Bennett Funding Group. <laughs> <laughs> group. Group. <laughs> I think that's a disease that. Yeah. <laughs> When the Bennett Funding Group went belly up. It's very likely that Ponzi himself was uh, probably also inspired by a man named William 520% Miller. (laughs) That's his name. My legal middle name is 520%. Yeah, it's it's his, you know, parents were Elon Musk's ancestors. (laughs) Your name is something six. Yeah, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> so will miller was a young brooklyn bookkeeper who in 1899 okay so he would have been you know come doing this when when ponzi was a teen or whatever yeah um fleeced gullible investors for more than one million dollars and he did some time in sing sing uh prison and took a turn down the straight and narrow and then became known as honest bill so <laughs> Okay. He had a few nicknames. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I want a fun one like that, but then it's like, what do you got to do to get a nickname like 520%? <laughs> then you have to go and do whatever it is it takes to become known as yeah. Honest Bill again. 
just days before the, spoiler alert, original Ponzi scheme fell apart, Honest Bill was quoted as saying, I may be rather dense, but I cannot understand how Ponzi could make so much money in so short a time. <laughs> um, so yes, Charles Ponzi had plenty of finesse and chutzpah, and who really needs real business plans with that dynamic combo? He probably could have been a cult leader. He could con anyone he met, uh, basically from Italian immigrants to cops to politicians and even a priest. Um, oh, and I think I really mentioned his first little bit of backstory. Sorry, all the backstory. But he had claimed to have attended the University of Rome. But as he put it, in my college days, I was what you would call here a spendthrift. That is, I had arrived at a precarious period in a young man's life when spending money seemed the most attractive thing on earth. <laughs> I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Spendthrift. Oh. Never heard that before. Oh, no. No. <laughs> spending money here, spending money there. Uh, so, back to what he was doing after his time in Quebec, he moved back to Boston in 1917, and there answered an ad for a clerk, uh, a clerk wanted, placed in the newspaper by a merchandising broker named J.R. Poole. And in Boston, he met a young woman named Rose um, Neko. I think the G is silent because it's kind of spelled like Nioki. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Neko? Neko, sure. <laughs> I just like, said the same thing again. Anyway, on a streetcar named Desire. No, but on a streetcar. <laughs> There they fell in love, and the petite Rose was practically swept off her feet by the sophisticated older gentleman. And Rose and Charles married in February of 1918. Cute. Cute old-timey names. Yeah. <laughs> he then took over Rose's father's grocery business and bungled that all up. He's great at that. <laughs> he went to the bank to try and get a loan. I mean, he used to work at a bank. He probably thought this is going to be easy peasy. Um, and he had himself an idea for a business venture, which was an international trade journal. But his request for $2,000 was promptly denied by the Hanover Trust Company. Rejected. Which sounds like not even that much now, too. Yeah. So he went back to his office on School Street to plan his next move. And then flash forward to August of 1919, a couple years later, he's opening his mail one day when he opens an envelope and a light bulb goes off in his head, over his head. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Something. Uh -huh. Yeah. The envelope contained a tiny scrap of square paper that excited him. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was a picture of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, excited Ponzi. And then I was like, Oh, I don't know. I just stumbled. <laughs> yeah, it made him like, excited. So... <laughs> he was he was thinking now, thinking hard. Um, it was an international postal reply coupon. So, okay, almost like you get something now, and they give you like a pre-stamped addressed oh, envelope, like so a 
You can mail back. You can mail it back. Okay. It's to help mail it back because uh, it pays for the postage. Okay. And it said that the coupon was purchased in a st- Spanish post office for 30 centavos. It could be exchanged for a U.S. postage stamp worth five cents, a redemption rate that was fixed by international treaty. But the Spanish peseta, Ponzi knew, had fallen recently in relation to the dollar. So theoretically, someone could, someone who bought a postal reply coupon in Spain could redeem it in the United States for about a 10% profit because of the exchange rate, I guess. Jesus. Okay. Sorry, yeah, this is a long kind of quote I took. Purchasing coupons in countries with weaker economies could increase that margin substantially, he reasoned. It should be possible, then, to make a financial killing by buying huge quantities of these coupons in certain overseas countries and redeeming them in countries with stronger currencies. But they're not going to hand you the money. You're still just getting a prepaid envelope, aren't you? It's just a coupon that you have. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who's cashing in coupons at any like they're not handing you money like you're still getting a prepaid envelope it's just worth more in the u.s than there i think so yes so how is that making a profit (laughs) unless he's then selling prepaid envelopes to people that what he's going to do fuck sounds like so much work (laughs) (laughs) i hate it (laughs) and this is basically the biggest explanation I could find for it because it's like you said it's a whole thing that's like not gonna last in the end but yeah I don't even know how he was convincing people other than yeah the rest of that was like Ponzi called his new business the security exchange securities exchange company and set out to promote his idea prepaid envelope See, these things aren't worth that much, but you know how much they're worth there? It's gold, Jerry, gold! <laughs> it's just like fucking. Um, oh my god, what show is it? Me. <laughs> Fuck, what was it? Like Good Girls or something? They buy... Oh, yeah. No, not Good Girls. Um, Watch the, that. The mom show with. Oh. Um, that one was about moms, good girls was. Yeah, but this one was just called Mom, and it was... Oh, with Allison Janney. And... Yeah, her, I never remember her name. Oh, yeah, 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 and Anna Ferris. Yes, yes, those two, and they buy maple syrup in the U.S. or something, and oh, take it no. to fucking Canada, or vice versa. So stupid. Right? Yeah, there, so and there's a whole stupid. maple syrup heist that, or... Yeah. <laughs> scam or whatever it was a long con too yeah that shit's worth some some money and like, oh my god there's rules <laughs> get between me and my aunt jemima <laughs> uh, yeah it's big money for like out east quebec yeah. like then i think for like vermont and New yeah area that kind of region um but yeah he was Charles Ponzi was just giving his spiel and people were just eating it up for some reason. (laughs) He told them he had a network of agents in Europe just buying up the postal reply coupons in bulk. Uh, (laughs) He made it sound good. 
he had no details about the finer points and he would be evasive and kind of cry trade secret or something like can't tell ya sounds right kfc it's the mm-hmm. secret herbs and spices 11 of them 11 secret spices is that what it is yeah i just always think of afro man so i give you my secret blend herbs and spices called 45 <laughs> oh god uh, he also kept up appearances of wealth, rushing off from fancy social gatherings to meet with his various clients around town. Gotta go. <laughs> and he hired agents who were trained by Ponzi and got a cut for bringing in new blood, new investors. So this is mm. the start of that kind of outsourcing. Yeah. yeah. The agents would get 10% of the investors, new investors cash that bought in and then like sub agents, any sub agents that they would hire would get five percent i was just gonna say five yep <laughs> it was like get someone else to do the work to his credit he paid back the first round of investors and people were starting to take notice and then they wanted in hmm. and they're like it's working <laughs> and some people reinvested right away just he paid them back and they were like no 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 again and so he kind of saved him some on interest payments too because he just could just roll it back into yeah i guess the next round i don't know yeah i don't (laughs) always understand how it uh functions at one point though he had offices kind of across the east coast at least from maine to new jersey at first i had I said, oh, it was across America. And then I was like, no, you literally wrote Maine to New Jersey. So that's like <laughs> across the East Coast a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's growing. So then a man named Joseph Daniel filed a lawsuit against him for $1 million. He said Ponzi owed him money, so he's entitled to some of Ponzi's earnings. Um, And it didn't help that around this time, the paper started printing stories about his net worth. Mm. Yeah. He did swindle a shit ton, like, over his career. Like, you know, but on July 24th, 1920, the Boston Post ran a front page feature with the headline, Doubles the money within three months, 50% interest paid in 45 days by Ponzi, has thousands of investors. It's a really long headline. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it stated his worth at eight point five million. Holy, that's a lot back then, too. right? That's crazy. It's like he's like Bezos' money now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had a twelve-room mansion in Lexington. Servants, various vehicles, including a custom-built limo and luxury clothes and accessories like diamonds for rose and a gold-handled Malacca cane. Okay. That's fancy. Sounds nice. I know. I feel like I had a fancy eagle on the handle or something. Yeah. Can't just be gold-tipped. He brought out, or he bought out his old boss, Poole. Uh, I guess that he entered the ad for or whatever. And he just was saying, like, the, but the more I buy, the more I want to buy. <laughs> mm. Can't get enough. Yeah. But what he really wanted was to get back at the first bank that rejected him. That was Hanover Trust. He had managed to arrange a takeover of the bank. So if he went down, so would the bank. 
So, like, he owns it now, I guess. So, two days after the article ran, they were lined up um, outside Ponzi's door, all these would-be investors, and they stretched all the way back to City Hall. So, oh, okay. It was apparently pretty good for him at first. <laughs> yeah. Then there was probably just too many people, and then suddenly too many people want to be paid back. In oh, yeah. In 45 days. Yeah. yeah, it's like they said, it's a little house of cards. To them, he later wrote, I was a wizard who could turn a pauper into a millionaire overnight. But did you? Did you actually? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, where he worth... actually did. Yeah. I don't think he made anybody other than himself rich. Yeah, and was he worth $8.5 million? No. Yeah. Theoretically, probably. <laughs> mm. With like a line of credit and like loans, <laughs> but not actually what he physically had in cash. Yeah. If all my investors paid me. <laughs> yeah, that's like assets. It's like counting your assets, not what you actually have. Mm-hmm. Um, the next week, the U.S. Post Office Department announced a new conversion, or announced new conversion rates for international postal reply coupons. Was that outside? No. I think so. Okay. <laughs> but officials insisted it had nothing to do with Ponzi's scheme. And they claimed that what he said he was doing wasn't even possible anyway. Fuck. <laughs> He's not making money off this, you guys. He's making money off you. <laughs> and just as soon as his business was booming, it went bust. There were three ongoing investigations into him by the police, the Boston Post, that being the paper, and the post office. <laughs> The U.S. <laughs> post office. At the advice of his agent, former newspaper man William McMasters, Ponzi opted to cooperate with the DA's office and opened his books up to the government audit that they wanted to do. <laughs> so, it's gonna go downhill. By the end of the day on July 26th, shit was going south. And he was declining any new investments at that time and would do so until the audit was complete. So that was kind of nice of him. He was like, well, don't bother. So quickly the tables turned when people heard he was being investigated. And now it was hundreds lining up to get refunds on their investment vouchers. He instructed his clerks to pay everyone back who requested it. And in one day he paid out more than $1 million dollars. Jeez. million dollars. Dr. Evil. He apparently, it said, kept playing both sides, which I guess meant, like, being buddy-buddy with, like, the police, but also the papers and mm. whatever. Everyone's investigating you, bud. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's confusing. We all know what's going down. He, I like this, though. He even ordered sandwiches and coffee for the mob outside of his office. <laughs> and then, like, moved the women to the front of the line when he heard some people had fainted in the heat. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Waiting. I was like, sandwiches. And uh, it said some of them booed him and some of them cheered him. And I was like, oh, okay. They don't even know. <laughs> I feel like, just give me back my fucking money. I don't want your sandwich. Yeah. What kind of sandwich, though? <laughs> just spending my money on buying everybody a sandwich. <laughs> like Pizza for all. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, some of them left the line without getting their refund. They changed their minds, I guess. We just waited too long. Yeah, maybe. 
didn't get a fucking sandwich. <laughs> the papers were then saying he was $4 million in debt and he threatened to sue them this time. <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm going to get money out of you now. Yeah, first I'm worth $8 million. Now, I now I'm naked of four. four. <laughs> Original trial by the media. Then on August 10th, he's invited to this luncheon at the Hotel Bellevue to give a speech and also face off against a second guest speaker. This man was a mind reader named Joseph Dunniger. <laughs> or Dunniger. Yeah. That's so weird. A mind reader. <laughs> what? You weren't expecting that? No. Neither was I. I was like, um. <laughs> The shit they used to do for fun back in the day. <laughs> Let's bring this guy that's like caused a financial crisis and make him answer questions by a mind reader. Maybe we'll have a seance. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he was supposed to throw the x-ray of clairvoyance on the subtle brain of this the little Italian and revel, oh, reveal what he found to the audience. Jeez. <laughs> or pick his brain, maybe? I don't know. But it ended up being no contest, literally, as he was still qu- taking questions from the audience at 2.45. Uh, he being um, Ponzi, because everyone yeah. was just grilling him. Oh. <laughs> uh, by the like the next day, August 11th, it comes out in the post that he had been jailed in Montreal, and they posted his mugshot. Um, yeah. And that, oh yeah, by the way, he'd also done time in Atlanta, for smuggling five Italians from Canada to the U.S. <laughs> from Canada to the U.S.? That's fine. <laughs> All right. And uh, by August 12th, he's found $3 million in the red. Uh, they were close. <laughs> $3 million owing uh, by the auditors when they finished. So he is arrested as he cannot hope to pay this back. Um, and up to six banks would then crash following his arrest. Oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Uh, his quote-unquote note holders got 30 cents on the dollar, many holding on to them instead, still hoping Ponzi would cash them in, I guess, for full value? Huh? After he gets out of jail, he's, he's just yeah. bound to pay us back. Oh my god. Um, and then the Boston Post won a Pulitzer Prize for their <laughs> journalism and coverage of the case. Um, he was convicted on charges of mail fraud, sentenced to five years, and served three and a half. So he didn't get that long, really. No. Yeah. I mean, he didn't kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's still pretty crazy. Um then in 1925, he was convicted on state fraud charges. Oh, yeah, he doesn't exactly stop. <laughs> Out on bail while that verdict was under appeal, he went to Florida. Oh, Why for? Why, to sell swampland under the pseudonym of Charpon. Fuck, Jesus. Charpon, maybe? <laughs> you want to buy some swampland? <laughs> yeah, oh my god. I had a trench coat with just the baby alligator in it. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck? A leaf. <laughs> yeah. Want to buy a leaf? Hey, kid, you want to buy a leaf? <laughs> oh, then he was quickly arrested and convicted of fraud. He jumped bail when he learned that the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts had helped, upheld his conviction in that state. With authorities in two states in pursuit, Ponzi fled to Texas. Oh, God. 
Now he's in Texas. <laughs> my mom one time driving in Maine, which is just next door to New Brunswick where we grew up. It's just like, had a taillight out. They pulled her over. She goes, I'm a wanted woman in Maine. I can't go back. Oh, God. Anyway, I'm sure the statute of limitations is out on that, Mom. You're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he signed a warrant as a seaman on an Italian freighter, but was yeah. captured in New Orleans? What? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening anymore. I know. Like, it's... Yeah, it's the first chapter in his criminal career. <laughs> Ponzi was returned to Massachusetts to begin his sentence at the state prison in Charlestown. Uh, that was 1925. Now, out again in 1934, he was balding and 40 pounds fatter. <laughs> <sighs> and still five foot two. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I feel you, buddy. But no. <laughs> and, but... Oh, yeah, they were just waiting on hand outside of the prison to deport him back to Italy as an undesirable alien. Although I don't agree with the use of alien, but yes, he's undesirable. Send him back to Italy. He's no Akon, but... <laughs> <laughs> was that from our... That, that yeah, one that ended up Patreon. on our Patreon, yeah. right. Yeah, it's an alien uh, love story. Some alien baby daddy. It's an alien romance. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, slow burn romance. Yeah. And then I listened to a case where, like, the guy's name was, like, David or something, and he had really similar experiences to Elizabeth Clare. Did he also carry a baby? Alien <laughs> <laughs> He also had alien encounters. I can't remember right now. Okay. Maybe we'll have to do that one because oh man <laughs> I love a good alien deep dive <laughs> um but this no Rose has uh, speaking of romances Rose has had enough with Charles's shit <laughs> good for her because he's been deported and she was like oh, I'm gonna stay until you can find a job there in Italy <laughs> but he never got a job so she divorced his ass yes good for her yeah a lot of people were like oh you're probably in on it but like no she and her relatives had loaned him a combined sixteen thousand dollars jeez that's a lot back then yeah exactly so she remarried and relocated to florida and after that reports vary on what happened to him uh Mm. the short version one is that he gets a high-ranking ministry job in finance seems unlikely and version two is that he dabbled and had like an airline job and then became a teacher that's Um, an airline job yeah okay it said quote according to one version he talked his way into a high-ranking financial ministry job in Mussolini's government remember that Mussolini he's a dictator dude (laughs) I just know that Cher was in that movie tea with Mussolini because I love Cher Uh I didn't see that one I don't think it's great. I might have an old DVD with it, but um, when officials realized that he was not the financial genius he purported to be, he fled carrying two suitcases stuffed with cash and caught a steamer to Brazil. Yeah. That kind of tracks. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't know if I mentioned him, but the author named Dunn, last name Dunn, who's done the most extensive research on Ponzi, uncovered a different story 
He reports that Ponzi got help from his second cousin, Colonel Attilio Biseo of the Italian Air Force, who was commander of the Green Mice Squadron. Literally always read over my quotes now, but didn't remember the Green Mice name part. (laughs) Kind of must have skimmed it a little. Yeah, that's a little weird. Green Mice. Yeah, the Green Mice. (laughs) The mice are green. Green Mice? Grey Worm? No, (laughs) Game of Thrones. Uh, Green Mice Squadron and a friend of Mussolini's. Oh yeah, commander of the Green Mice Squadron and a friend of Mussolini's. Viseo landed Ponzi a job with a fledgling airline doing business between Italy and Brazil. This new career kept Ponzi in high style between 1939 and December 1941, when the United States entered World War II and the Brazilian government cut off supplies to Ponzi's airline having learned that it was ferrying strategic supplies to Italy. Oh. Yeah, where were they in that whole conflict? I can't remember now with Italy. I don't know. I'm terrible at any of the world wars. I don't know. Well, because Germany had two allies. It was Japan and... What was the Axis powers? Pause. Okay, so yeah, they were allied god for lack of a better word with the yeah. uh, with with germany and the axis powers okay yeah italy was but germany is still the one that gets the most shit on for world war ii of yeah. course um out of a job ponzi scraped by teaching english and french and later working as an interpreter for an italian importing firm according to dunn but his eyesight was failing and a stroke in early 1948 left him partially paralyzed Ponzi died in a charity hospital in Rio de Janeiro on January 18th, 1949. Almost your birthday. Yeah. But like... Or, did I say 1849? January 18th, 1949. Okay. Leaving $75 to pay for his burial. A book by... Oh. That's where I had it. <laughs> right at the end where it doesn't make sense because I didn't know. Uh, a, <laughs> a book by Donald H. Dunn called Ponzi the Bonston Swindler analyzed his schemes and concluded that Ponzi was more of a psychological and people reading genius. My words, clearly. Rather than a financial genius. More of like a master manipulator or sort of salesman extraordinaire. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely a con man. Yeah. Yeah. Not a murderer. <laughs> I stayed away. Because I was like, ooh, Ponzi scheme. I've heard of this. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was. And I remember when I used to bartend, we used to get, because um, it was in the, a hotel, right? So we used oh. to get groups that came in. Yeah, we had a, um, I don't remember what they were called, but they were definitely an MLM or like whatever. Yeah. And they'd have their little meetings in the little banquet room. Oh, God. And they'd come back to the bar after. And yeah, a lot of them were really pretty cheap and stuff like that. And they'd come and order drinks or whatever. And some of them would try to, like, talk to you about it. And you're like, you can't try and sell me on shit I'm yeah. working. <laughs> like, Oh, awful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I hate all those jobs where you're, like, trying to sell something. and Yes. <sighs> That's one thing I like about my job is we aren't ever expected to 
no. try and get somebody to buy something, talk them into it, upsell really, like that's just not part of it. And your job performance isn't based on you being able to do that. Yeah, because sometimes they pressure I've had people. that before. I've had that in some of my, well, basically all my other jobs, that was some part of it you were expected. And that was part of mm-hmm. like your performance review based on how well you could upsell people. Yes. And things they might not need or oh you look so good yeah but not based on like what you said about some of the guys that worked there earlier that was like wait i'm sorry you're buying that shirt kind of yeah thing. i was like whoa yeah right exactly yeah you obviously don't work on commission yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's like on schitt's creek oh that's a second schitt's creek no. no but he gets the he tries to get the job and then he, he's at the blouse barn and yes <laughs> It's like, what's that? Are these hoary? Or... <laughs> oh, too funny. Yeah, I need to rewatch that whole show. Oh, so good. So good. They were blaming me for The Office the other day. And I said, oh, yes, I got you guys into that. But that's because Kelsey got me into that. <laughs> <laughs> Any hoozle. We're going to have some more hang time. And we'll see you guys next week for another crazy episode that's on some more mysterious less crimey things yeah maybe some i guess what it's gotten common is there'll still be some numbers yeah all the numbers <laughs> mine I, I thought i had in here somewhat the number of like i don't know he definitely swindled like the canadians and americans out of like like a, maybe a million dollars or something it, seemed, it was a lot for the time yeah all together i was just like whoa <laughs> crazy well thanks yeah. for listening yeah don't forget to rate review and subscribe sorry if you had trouble seeing uh what was it last week's episode um it was just good pods yeah i was made aware there was an issue where it wasn't like appearing on people's feeds on good pods so um thank you daniel for letting me know and then i was able to just go on there and hit update on my episode list and then i could see it so then i was trying to tell people just go hit update maybe your latest episode hasn't appeared on everyone's feed on this app (laughs) yeah weird but whatever and yeah stay tuned we have some fun stuff coming for you i know july through dark cast there's gonna have like a fun kind of collab episode where we'll be telling a story each yes. by ourselves yeah by ourselves because <laughs> our segments have to be too short we can't yes. out- allow any banter so we're recording <laughs> completely separately yeah because we couldn't do it with banter under 15 minutes that would be too hard, hard so we no we can barely do without it. banter an hour each yeah. so yeah, and it's really cool. And then you'll get to hear some of the other cool podcasters um, from the Darkcast Network. So that, stay tuned for that. I know that's coming like sometime in July. Mm-hmm. And then maybe August will be a little different too. We'll let you know. Yeah. My dog is barking. Um, <laughs> I think the party next door is ending. So. Oh, yeah. It's a really nice day out here where we've had like so much rain. Yeah. We're going to go have a, a fire in the backyard That's and eat right. some s'mores. Fuck yeah. So <laughs> happy <laughs> summer night to you all. <laughs> and keep it cryptic. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs>
Yeah, he looks so pouty. Hi. Get my chapstick, buddy. Okay. Leave everything alone while I'm gone. Which is, uh, I was like, oh, Albania, that's near Serbia. I know that, like, because Pat, when he served, um, it, it wasn't Afghanistan or whatever. He was in the pause for dog. Pat <laughs> did a tour with it was like the Kosovo War. So it's all in that region. Oh. Serbia, Albania. What are you doing? Fenway, are you over it? You over being a pod dog? Now it's like, I was listening to the Creeps and Crimes and they'd be like, they'd talk about their friend Nikki and they're like, oh yeah, Nikki's right here. Hi, say hi Nikki. Hi. I'm like, your friend's just like laying in the room while you guys record. You guys are so, yeah, like BFFs in your like 20s. What are you doing? What are you doing? You want out? Okay, bye. <laughs> bye bye. I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything. You don't want to pay attention to me. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. You're responding to my head buds. I know, and he was pawing me. Like, yeah, mom, mom, mom. <laughs> I get it, but when you're not here, he doesn't act like Gordo. <laughs> no! This has been Castles and Cryptids. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and our YouTube channel. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. On our website, you can listen to all of our episodes as well as view pictures for each of our segments. Check out our Patreon page to view all of our tiers and become a Patreon supporter today to unlock monthly bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes content. We are working on an Ask Us Anything. You can submit questions by social media or by email at castlesencryptids at gmail.com. Do you have a spooky ghost story, a creepy cryptid sighting, or a thrilling true crime tale you would like to share and have us include in a future episode? Send us your listener story by social media or by email please include the name that you would like mentioned. Our music is by Kobe Affair. Our logo and artwork is by Antonio Garcia. Thanks for listening.